Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. everybody hey, you waited <laughs> for us you waited and we're here we just had to make a quick stop to create four episodes for Brief. this one episode of television yep yep just just a, just a quick four just a nice a little tiny detail. little four um but we're here with the first uh which is us me and jenny own youngs talking about the episode of television called seeing red and before we get there, we have just a couple of things uh, to talk to you about. One is that we know that several of you are waiting for us to announce the live show that we said we were going to announce on the 4th, but then we delayed this episode and now we're here and we're waiting. We're waiting because uh, if you live here in the world with us, you know that uh, things are weird. Things are fucking things are not great right now in the uh, gathering of large crowds. You know that that's seeming a little tricky and a little complicated and probably not super safe at present. So um, our hope is to gather together with you this fall. But we need a little more time to see what's happening, to see what people are saying, to see what is safe, to keep you safe, to keep us safe, etc. So please, Philadelphia and adjacent cities, hang tight. Know that all we want is to gather with you, but we will not do that if it is unsafe. So just hang tight. Just hang the fuck tight with us. Okay? Okay. Wow. wow. Now... On to more pressing matters. <clears throat> Here today with your results of the Entropy Sexual Attention Awards poll. Kristen, this isn't just any old STA poll, is it? It's not. It's sort of like the fates aligned because they knew that something miraculous needed to happen in the Sexual Attention Award poll for Entropy. Uh, I posted the episode and all social content for that episode in the parking lot of a Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, <laughs> so it was, you know, I just, I, I just, a couple of things went a little wonky. And one of those things was that mm. I posted the Sexual Attention Award poll for Entropy for one day, not for seven. And the people revolted. They were didn't like that. so mad. And so I posted they need a time to deliberate. Right. So I posted a second poll and I specifically said, Scouts fucking honor, don't vote again. Normally we However, get about 800 or so votes in the poll. We had a total in these two polls combined of 1,300 votes. So I'm. Mm. Yeah, the sci science and math is a little off here. But what I will say is that today, this morning, Jenny, I sat here with my fucking abacus, just like yes, click, click, clickety click, clacking click. away. And I added up all the things and I divided them and I got percentages and all this stuff. And this is the true results from those 1300 votes. This is accurate. I added them all together. I did the math. Mm -hmm. And so this mm -hmm. is the result of these two polls. There may be double voting, but I think that it was kismet. I think it was fate. Ah, right in fourth place. Uh, the two noms that landed in this, this the lowest of slots with 14% of the vote. It's alternate universe spike 
and Anya banging away in a reality parallel to ours, but not overlapping. Yeah, okay. nobody wanted it. Nobody want. I, well, I don't know why. They Sounds were like, no, pretty... thanks. No, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, in the third slot, we have the noms of Andrew <laughs> and Spike looking cool mm-hmm. with 18% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Reading these back, I'm like, yeah, these are fairly lackluster compared to what's on the top half of these poll results. Kristen mm-hmm. It is a tie for mm-hmm. first place mm-hmm. between Willow and Tara and Spike and Danya before they did it. Back in the good old days when it was all tension and no sex. <laughs> um, okay, the kind of the last thing that we have to say here is that you may have heard us saying we have four episodes, but two of them hit your ears today. Uh, and that is because we have a very, very important and wonderful conversation with me and Alba and Jess Clark, who you may remember from our episode on uh, Dead Things. Jess Clark uh, is a prevention manager at the Solace Crisis Treatment Center, which is a rape crisis center in Santa Fe, New Mexico. He's been doing uh, sexual violence prevention for a decade, and he is incredible. And so what we've done in this little duo of episodes today uh, is we've taken the nuanced, complex, and very important conversation that we feel is required to talk about the bathroom scene in this episode and put it in its own episode, giving it a bunch of space, uh, giving it an expert, giving it multiple voices and perspectives, and also with the intentionality of keeping this episode uh, as safe as possible for those who do not want to go into that conversation in in a uh, deeper way. So today... In the main feed, the one you're listening to, hi, here we are in this episode. And then in the show notes, there's a link to listen to the conversation that I had with Alba and with Jess. Uh, And that episode will actually be re-airing in the main feed at the end of this season. So um, just in case you didn't hear it uh, on the Patreon feed, you can hear it in the main feed at the end of this season. Indeed. And just a brief content warning up here at the top as well. This episode contains discussions of gun violence and sexual violence. As Kristen mentioned, we do not speak a ton about the bathroom scene in this episode, but we have also added timestamps in the show notes if you would like to skip our conversation on that scene entirely. All right. Well, let's get into this episode because once we get into it, Jenny, it means we're going to get out of it. And we did it. Like we, The sooner we start, the sooner it's sooner, over. Yeah. I Listen, and if you're like, do I even want to keep listening to this episode? I will say before we jump into it that I think the structure that we chose uh, allowed somehow for this to be perhaps one of my favorite episodes of ours that exists. Um, it's a good it's a good time. Somehow, somehow it's a good time. Mm-hmm. So, so you Kristen know, sings at me a lot. I sing Jenny's own music to her. So, you know, it's a good, it's a good time. Anyway, let's go. I'm sorry. 
sorry. I want, I want, I want the before Jenny says hello to include me laughing and a beat of silence because what I witnessed was just you staring into the middle distance and then looking at me like, what am I supposed to do right now? <laughs> hello <laughs> and welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are watching and discussing. Every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one by one, spoiler free, even this one, in tandem with our arch nemesis. <gasps> oh my God! What better occasion? I'm looking for any levity I can find right now, so I'm getting in on the feud. Yes! Angel on top can suck it! I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. Uh, and I'm Kristen Russo, and don't we wish that many years ago we had written the intro to say a podcast where we'll be watching and discussing every episode but one of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> but we didn't. And this week we are talking about season six, episode 19, Seeing Red. You should stay tuned at the end of this podcast every other week for an original song written by Jenny. Uh, and this week, we've got something fucking special for you. We might as well. You're right. We became uh, nemesises with Angel on Top. So there's some levity. Why don't we tell them about what's going to await them at the end of this episode, Jenny? Well, this week, Kristen had a good idea for Thank once. <laughs> and oh, wow. this week's song comes from the POV of first time in the buffering musical verse Anya Anya as performed by Sam Barbera of LAX's and Beginners fame yes i asked Jenny if she could ask the member of LAX's who was the blonde one who looked like a good time to do the voice of Anya and spot the lie and then yeah no lies detected uh she is singing Anya, she is our voice of Anya, and the song fucking rules. Uh, we can, well, it does. It's so good. I can say that. I didn't, I, I neither wrote mm. nor performed it. So I get to say that it rules. And we can talk a little bit more when we get to Anya's scene, maybe about uh, what we kind of brewed up for this week's song. Indeed. Now, seeing red. Uh, was written by the forever cursed Stephen S. DeKnight and directed by a pox upon his house, Michael Gershman. <laughs> it originally aired upon May 7th, 2002. Uh, yes, and this is actually the last episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer ever written by Stephen S. DeKnight. Did you know that? Yeah, I can that? see why. Yeah, me I can too. see get why. The, get the hell out of here, man. Sir, see yourself out. It's actually... We'll, we'll we'll get into it. Let me just tell you what episode this is in case you were wondering. Um, this is the one, according to IMDb, where Warren acquires a pair of demonic orbs that imbue him with strength and invulnerability, and he faces off with Buffy, but loses. He comes back with a gun and shoots both Buffy and Tara. Um, 
Yeah, this is the one where like a whole bunch of really bad shit happens. Though, what I was going to say a moment ago is that in our episode on entropy, Ira said, you know, I know it's like a hot take, but I actually like seeing red minus a couple of things. And when I watched the episode, I was like, you know, Ira, as usual, is not wrong. There's a lot of really, (laughs) there's a lot of really good shit in this episode. And in case you skipped the intro uh, and you didn't see how we're treating this episode, uh, it's actually one of four episodes, but today you will be getting two. uh, And the second episode is live right now in the Patreon feed. And in that episode, we go in depth on the bathroom scene um, that happens between Buffy and Spike because we wanted to make this space one where we will certainly still be uh, discussing some of what occurs between the two of them, um, but keep it as safe as possible for people who don't want to go in depth um, into that scene. So if you want more and and if you, if you are someone who uh, is able to and interested in hearing a deeper conversation on Spike and Buffy, both here and uh, forward in the series, uh, it will be a spoiler full conversation and it will go more in depth on that scene. So anyhow... We should probably start at the beginning. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, relationship drama. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Just trying to have some fun in this episode. Yes, we've got an I don't love you. We've got a can you be kissing me now. We've got Spike and Anya on the magic box table. We got Xander. Nice. Listen, uh, a fair warning to any of you who thought perhaps I was turning a corner with Xander. I have done a full about face and I fucking, (laughs) I am like, I am more upset with Xander now than ever before. Yes. Mm. Uh, I only, it it came to mind because in the previously on we get him saying to Anya in Entropy, so you go out and bang the first body you can find. Literally, fuck you. Fuck you, Xander. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, fuck you, Xander. (laughs) (laughs) So you want to go get naked with some ladies? Interior. Witch den. Clothes strewn everywhere, having hastily been removed and tossed in a flurry of vending machine movement and levitate a lingus. (laughs) Uh, Willow makes a comment about how she forgot how good it feels to be together, quote, without the magic. Now, she's, of course, like in universe referring to the fact that she was using magic in ways that were unhealthy for her the last time her and Tara were together. But what I love about this is it's also like, hey, every other time we fucked, it's been a magical metaphor. And now, guess what? We're just fucking but also, does that mean that they've previously been having magically enhanced sex? Well, I think that I in universe, I don't think that they were only having magically enhanced sex. But I do think that Willow's line is rooted from a place where like, well, I don't know, actually, because maybe it was always magically <laughs> enhanced, but maybe it only became unhealthy later on. Like the magic, mm. you know, you've been here with us for this journey. So you're aware that our lack of ability to draw a line through the magic metaphor is not our fault. <laughs> it's, no, 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 no. It's kind of a mess. But regardless, putting a fine point on the fact that these two ladies are fucking, they are fucking and fucking and fucking and fucking, and there is no metaphor here. There is no working around it. There's no magical orgasms. There's no fucking floating a rose. There's no vending machine. This is just two bodies 
smashing up against each other. So hell Good yeah. Good lord. Listen, uh, this is the only time I'll get it. So I'm going hard, Jenny. I know, I know, I know, I know. And congrats. Thank congrats you. Congrats to Willow and Tara and Kristen. <laughs> um, so now here, post-coitus, uh, Tara and Willow are finally in a place where Willow feels like she can bring up the fact that she feels like something <laughs> might be going on. There seems like there might Spike be a connection between Spike and are Buffy. Are you telling me there's a connection between <laughs> Spike and Buffy? Maybe they're roommates. <laughs> <gasps> they were roommates. Um, uh, yeah. Tara's like, I'm done keeping this fucking secret. They're sleeping together. And Willow bursts out laughing uh which is kind of delightful um but then tara tara again like you'll hear tomorrow in our conversation with amber benson we talked to her about the fact that tara is like the sort of wise centerpiece of the scoobies at this point and she is here in this conversation as well you know she's like i think buffy didn't tell you because uh, she was worried about the look on your face, which is kind of the look that you have now. And Willow is <laughs> it, 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 Willow, but Willow also clarifies and says, like, no, I'm I'm actually just trying to understand. To which Tara says, So is she. Very wise. Oh my Very God. wise. Look, uh, I feel <clears throat> like you're glossing over the most important part of what's happening. Naked. Ladies. No, no, no. Post naked. Okay. Post naked. <laughs> Uh, you know, they're talking about, oh, did Buffy come home last night? Uh, in order to check, Willow has to get dressed. And what she puts on oh. is an oversized jersey style football T-shirt. Listen. In her last great lesbian hurrah for the foreseeable future. <laughs> the sex was so good that she got gayer is how I would choose to read this outfit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, it's weird. I almost didn't recognize her because she's not wearing like a peasant blouse or, uh, you know, something else. Uh, can you even do a, <gasps> maybe because she's not doing spells anymore, she doesn't need to wear Renaissance fair clothes anymore. Perhaps. Yes. Or the writers just like picked up the latest issue of like Go Magazine, uh, in a New York City lesbian bar and they were like oh check it out like lesbians also wear football jerseys in addition to Renfair <laughs> mm. you know um, one thing that I want to say before she is putting this football jersey on and going into the hallway is just that the last thing that Willow says in the room is Buffy probably really needs someone to talk to which I think is important because we see how Xander <sighs> has already responded to this and will continue to respond throughout this episode. And so just want to underline that like Willow is here in this moment. And really her first response is after being like, is to be like, okay, like this Buffy really probably needs a friend. So let me go be that friend for her. In a football jersey. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So Buffy's bed is still made. She hasn't slept in it. And what pitter patter should enter the hall but the tiny little hooves of dawn uh a little limited two clad dawn mm-hmm, her little like mm-hmm. her little sweats her little tank top <laughs> she comes out dawn all obviously buffy and spike have been sleeping together <laughs> yeah. willow desperately trying to keep pace no i know i totally knew that before three minutes ago absolutely a hundred percent for sure 
Yeah, and they have like a brief exchange here where Dawn is sort of saying like, I everything feels like a mess and uh, Willow is responding to that by just being like, listen, when people have feelings for each other that are like this deep, things can get really complicated. And that's like a theme throughout the episode with, with Dawn. Like she's just like with Spike, like, are you going to leave again? She's just had this happen. She's had this happen with Riley. She's had this happen with Tara. Like, not to forget that Dawn is, you know, 15 years old and her parental units are also in their early 20s. So there's like a pretty, Mm. pretty fast revolving door and like heightened (laughs) emotional responses surrounding Dawn that she's just trying to keep up with. Okay, so... Listen, (laughs) Tara comes interrupting this conversation from about three feet away, being like, what? Did someone say what? (laughs) Ma'am, ma'am, you obviously could hear from three feet away. Also, you know that Don, you know, Don's voice. Why are you coming out into the hallway in a sheet? I mean, she's wrapped up so tightly, like a little fucking. Yeah. She probably did it on purpose. She probably knew that Dawn would respond how Dawn responds, even though she <laughs> pretends to be like, oh, dear me, I guess it's time to put some clothes on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the the, the uh, response that Dawn Summers has to this moment is one of my favorite things in the whole television series. So let us let us just hear Dawn respond to the moment she realizes that these queer ladies have been fucking again. Oh, hey. Ha, you and... Uh, that's my cue to go put some clothes on. No, 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 no. I- I- I'm totally not here. You guys, you do whatever you want. Um, I'll go watch TV <laughs> downstairs really loud in the basement where I can't hear anything. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I love you guys. Dawn says, please go have loud gay sex (laughs) wherever you want for however long you need. I'll be blasting Pokemon, the cartoon series on the TV. I'll be blasting Clarissa. What were young people watch? What were 15? Oh, yeah, she's like 15. What is she watching? Power Rangers? I was watching the Power Rangers at 15. But like, ironically, yeah, okay. you know, like, I mean, I loved it, but I was, I was like, yeah, I love the, I, I think I've already said this on the podcast, but I was actually watching the Power Rangers at age 15 because I had a crush on a girl named Carrie and she loved the Power Rangers. And even at that young age of 15, I knew <laughs> the way in is start watching what they're watching, mm-hmm. which actually mm-hmm. will come up again in this episode because there's an Azure Ray song in here. And let me mm-hmm. tell you. That one, Kristen Russo started listening to Azure Ray when she found out that one, Jenny Owen Youngs, liked Azure Ray, wanted to have something to talk about. So Azure Ray rips. Tact- a tactic at mm. age 15, a tactic mm. at age 29. A- eternal tactic. Yeah, timeless. So. Uh, okay. You want to go to the lair? Oh, my God. This is. She trots into this nerd lair. She's poking around. She's sniffing things out. She comes upon. A Vampirella figurine that repulses her. I think this is, I mean, very on brand for the idiots. Mm-hmm. Uh, also just fun because, you know, it's Vampirella. It's not some other, it's not some non-vampiric right, uh, right. comic book lady with 
um, ample endowments, mm-hmm. scantily Vampirella, cl- although scantily clad in a way that I also find to be upsetting, just like Buffy, uh, seems like she's got some fucking muscles. You know what I mean? Seems like she had a good time. She's she is proportionate in a way that Barbie is not. I will say that. Mm. You know, she's mm. got she's got some strong leg muscles. She can kick your ass at the very least. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Buffy's in this lair. She she like basically is there to scoop up some papers. There's really no other purpose for this scene apart from that. Y'all. And then the bonkers banana town saw whoa. like rotating. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. She comes upon a whiteboard in her search and it says, too late. She wisely says to herself, well, that can't be good, which is great. <laughs> then buzzsaws descend. Buzzsaws come through the whiteboard. Nice touch, boys. It is. Uh, yeah. It's a whole thing. But she like, first, she ducks under the buzzsaws very easily, right? But then she's surrounded by buzzsaws that are all the same height as the one she just ducked under. But this time she has to do a wild, like midair kickflip thing to get out she could have just stop drop and rolled yeah her way to safety she probably could have army crawled but, out of there yeah but it looked great it did and she's okay it was okay well it looked a little silly but okay I'll it looked pretty it. silly but i'm trying to just, be nice i also just came off of um the next episode of angel on top where uh vincent carthizer is now around and there's oh, like God. four hours of slow-mo in a 45 minute uh television show all at the top incredible how they fit four hours inside 45 minutes i know uh but, but- vincent carthizer finds a way <laughs> But um, th- th- it's all like to me watching this right after that. I'm like, was this some kind of competition between these two shows of like, who's going to do the fanciest fucking fight stunts? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, we've got buzz saws over here. Yeah. Um, but it is it's fun. It's I mean, quite an interesting plan on the trio's part, because I think the thing that activated it was her tipping the whiteboard to read it, which like just seems like. <laughs> It just seems like maybe not like it would happen, you know, like lucky for them, she tipped the whiteboard. Anyway, we go to the credits. We do. You want to talk about who's in the credits? Well, Tara's in the credits and I can't decide if I think it's nice or fucking rude. I think it's fucking rude. That's the, I've come out. I've come out on the side of it's fucking rude because and I'll tell you why. This is why. Because at first I read something that said it was like a gift to Amber, seeing as how she is killed at the end of this episode. Uh, and like I have a little room for that, but not a lot, given all that we will talk about uh, surrounding Tara's death here. But then I also read that. Joss Whedon had always wanted to put a main character Mm -hmm. in the credits on the same episode that he killed them. So where I had the smallest little inch of space for it, that door. (laughs) Then it was gone. Slammed the fuck shut. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you. Like, fuck you. She should have been in the fucking credits a million years ago. A million years ago. The fact that she was not in the credits is an insult and it's upsetting. She should have been there and like mm, too little too late is how I feel. And I'm not Amber Benson. So like I am happy if Amber Benson is happy about that credit placement. But other than that, everyone can literally go fuck off. It's kind of how I feel about a lot of things in this episode. So if you don't like me swearing, maybe skip it. (laughs) Okay, so... (laughs) Do Willow and Tara 
Do the newly reunited Willow and Tara, happy as we are to see them back together, need to make out forever in front of their friend and her sister? Yes. <laughs> they okay. do. I mean, cool. So I think I, I take Avalanche to that in two forms. One is like, yeah, they do. Like they're having a good time and they're gotta the get only- it while you can. Gotta get it while you can. Yeah. Well, and that's point two is that like I think given all we know about like how much pushback there was from like standards mm-hmm. of practice and the network and whatever, I feel like the amount of making out and sex and all that stuff that happens in this episode is like also a direct response to that you know yeah like that they're just just thinking about like the act of like making out with someone like five feet away from my friends in like daylight when i'm sober i would i could not and would not um but i i have space for these two to make out buffy is sort of like half paying attention and dawn is simply delighted so it seems like yeah yeah nobody cares in a negative way (laughs) so um Buffy is basically like realizing in this scene that there is they're all realizing that like they are the team now. You know, she's like, is there anything we can do to fast forward? Uh, We need to give Xander time. Dawn is like, what about Spike and like demon bars? And Buffy's like, "Mm, Spike's not part of the team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anya guessing she's not feeling very researchy. Like no one else Mm -hmm. is available um, to help them with this. And this is also the moment when Dawn says, like, oh, so Spike's not going to be coming around anymore. Oh, no. Oh, no. Luckily, just when we're feeling a little glum, we get what I think is Jenny's favorite scene of the episode. We go to a random bar where Christine, played by Amy Hathaway, who is in many a thing, you probably recognize this actress, uh, is sitting Mm. there. She's feeling very upset. Okay, so Anya is hanging out of the bar with this lady whose husband just cheated on her with her sister and she says some wholly unnecessary wholly unwelcome things about her sister Mm -hmm. uh but whipping past that uh to anya time anya's having a hard time keeping herself focused on her job it turns out because when This lady starts going off about her specifics. Anya cannot help but join in and enumerate her many dissatisfactions and complaints and sorrows about her situation. And it is great. (laughs) It's pretty funny. She also has a little bit. She also has a little bit more sympathy uh, for the dude in this situation because she says, Mm. well, Intimate, sweaty relations with the wrong person just seem like a good idea at the time, sometimes, <laughs> you know? Uh, I This is Anya's only scene in this episode, except in a minute when she's just, like, feather dusting or whatever. Right. Um, but it is so great. Yeah. Emma Caulfield, I mean, n- not enough can be said about Emma Caulfield. She's just... She's phenomenal. She's incredible being completely devastated. She's incredible being furious and vengeancy. She's she's like give her any yeah. task and she can lift it uh so well. And yeah, I mean, Christine uh like you said, um pulling some fat phobia, calling her sister ugly, like but some bullshit from 
Christine. Uh, but Christine then gets like increasingly confused about what the fuck is happening in this conversation because mm-hmm. Anya refers to her like she's like blah blah blah, and then he's like da 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 Anya, and Christine at the bar is like, who's Anya? <laughs> <laughs> so let's like let's give Emma Caulfield a little space in this episode. Play a little sound clip of her sort of partially partially talking to Christine and mostly just talking to herself and us. And then you get all excited with the tingly anticipation, but wait, not so fast. There's the apocalypse and the back from the grave and the blah 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 blah. And by the time you're finally standing there in that beautifully expensive white dress, dreamed about ever since you became human, he gets all eebie-jeebie and decides, you know, I'd rather just go steady. Men suck. When you're finally standing there in that beautiful, expensive white dress you've dreamed about ever <laughs> since you became human. <laughs> oh, Anya. Oh, Anya. I don't want to leave... woman... I don't want to leave this scene, but we must go to the cave of the Nezla demon. It's just simply Dude. the way it must be. So this is a short scene with the trio. We meet the Nezla demon mostly just so, A, they can kill this Nezla demon and we can hear Warren say, wow, that first jolt should have taken down an elephant. These are stronger than we thought. Uh, We just need that information for later so that we know how strong Warren's balls have made him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, I do like the look of these demons, if um, I may. Uh, you know, I'm kind of into it. I like I mostly They kind of look like humanoid catfish or something. <laughs> yeah, they're they've got a lot going on and I I when I picture them I actually only really picture Jonathan inside of one. So Right. And right. like that I love, especially because we <laughs> get like the full height Nesla demon in the like first yeah. look of it and then it's like <laughs> like Jonathan is like in its skin, but Jonathan is so much littler that it becomes like this short stout Nesla demon. So Oh yes. I think it works for, like, the purpose of this whole situation. Uh, Decent, decent demon design here on Nesla. Oh, my God, Jenny, I'm so excited to go to Spike's. Do you know why? Okay. Uh, Is it because Spike is pouring vodka into his blood? Yes! He's making a fucking blood and vodka cocktail. Because the first time I watched it, I missed him pouring the vodka. And I was like, wow, they really did a shitty job on, like, the the consistency of this blood (laughs) he's drinking. And then my second viewing, I was like, oh, my God, it's a mixed drink. It's like a Bloody Mary. You know, he needs yeah. some fucking celery sticks in that shit. <laughs> Put a little horseradish in there, buddy. Don appears in his doorway and says, does it help? And he says, doesn't hurt. Mm. Which is fair. That okay, reminds me my, of a Jenny actually, Young song, actually. I, sure beats the hurt. Oh, beats my God. The hurt, help. Beats the help. Hurt. I'm trapped in a podcast. <laughs> Listen. Listen to me. Dawn has an overnight bag and Spike is like, I hope you're not planning on having a sleepover. And she tells Spike, I'm sleeping over at Janice's. I love the idea that Spike knows who Janice is. He fully does. He fully does. Of yeah, course, he no, 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 totally, yeah. totally. He's it, when Don and Sp- when Don and Janice have a fight, Spike hears about it for sure. <laughs> oh God, yes, and um, she explains that she's going to sleep over at Janice's so that Tara and Willow can have some alone time. And oh I really, my 
God. I just really enjoy this little moment because Spike is is very, very happy. He says, uh, so the birds are flying again, huh? Like, it's just nice. Like, he's happy for them, even though he's fucking miserable. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone's pretty mad at you, says Dawn. And she gets yet another. It's complicated, niblet. Um, and this is when Spike finds out that there was a camera. Because he didn't know that. Like, this, the way that we ended Entropy, I don't even know if Anya, I guess Anya eventually found out. But um, they didn't know that. They just knew that, like, Buffy and Xander were there and it was bad. And so Spike yeah. learns that... Not only does Buffy know that he slept with Anya, but that like at literally everyone saw him doing this, which that's a lot to take in. Uh, his response is just to say, wankers. <laughs> and then we get this exchange between Spike and Dawn that is important. Um, she asks Spike if he loves her and he misreads it as her thinking that oh like God. because he slept with Anya, Dawn thinks that that must mean love. And Dawn's like, but get over it. Can everyone get over themselves? I'm not seven, you know? <laughs> True. And then Dawn tells Spike that if he was trying to hurt Buffy, he succeeded. Mission yeah. accomplished. Yeah. And it's kind of a nice, I like the way that the like dialogue is handled in this because even though Dawn clarifies and says, no, not Anya Buffy, Spike doesn't say anything. And Dawn knows exactly what the, like, you know, Dawn reads in Spike's silence that the answer mm. is clearly yes. Uh, and it's just done well. It's it's good on James Marster's part. It's good on Michelle Trachtenberg's part. It's good on the writer's part, director. Good, just good job, everybody. Uh, it, it reads really well. And um, yeah. Yeah, and Spike gets this information that that he didn't want. I mean, it, he certainly was not doing that, and he was clear about that. I think him and Anya were clear about that, both in Entropy and since, that like this was not done as an act to necessarily hurt anyone else. It was done just to try to find some solace in with someone else in pain. Mm -hmm. Speaking of pain, hmm. it's time for Jonathan to go through the force field in the Nezla demon skin. Yeah, uh, Warren doesn't even know if it's going to work, but he doesn't give a shit because allegedly the plan is to fucking kill Jonathan anyway. We get that clearly. We get a couple things clearly with the trio in this episode. One is that the, certainly the plan is to kill Jonathan uh, at some point in the near future. And two is that Andrew definitely has a fucking crush on Warren. It is oh my god very clear like we we talked a little bit about it in entropy but there are some moments in this episode that make it very clear that that is what's going on from the perspective of andrew i have a question yes that does not relate to andrew's feelings with warren mm -hmm. which are quite evident um so jonathan retrieves the orbs <laughs> and they're very powerful now what do you think these enormous jacked demons need these the goofy little orbs for and what like they're not using them they've been down there for centuries or whatever like they're just maybe keeping them they're just in like a curio case with like some yadros and some precious <laughs> moments figurines and then the orbs of Nezlacon. maybe 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 the nezla demons are good demons and they are literally protecting oh. Like, they are keeping these orbs from the hands of men. Maybe that's the whole purpose wow. of the Nesla demon. I 
Love that read. I get a very good vibe from the Nesla Demons. Me too. I hope that you're right. It's canon as far as I'm concerned. Great. Love to participate in canon. I, the first like 40 times that I watched this when he, first of all, he opens this wooden, he opens this wooden fucking box with these orbs in it with like a beeper. It's like a fucking little, (laughs) it's like a, he like runs this little laser thing over it and it opens this like ancient wood, everybody. Sure. Why not? Everybody needs to stop. Um, But I thought that what he said was that they had, they contained the power of strength and vulnerability. And I was like, I'm confused about. Wow. Modern men can have it all. Uh, Well, that was, I was like, well, this would be a powerful thing to uh, like embody like toxic masculinity. Like, oh, strength and vulnerability. And then I was like, strength and invulnerability. Very different. <laughs> oh my fucking god! Uh, the deluxe package. Uh, we don't even really need to. I mean, this is a ham-fisted fucking metaphor. Uh, Warren sure, sure, has sure, sure. some invulnerable, strong balls in his hand that make him violent and horrible. So, I mean, we can play the jingle, I suppose. The patriarchy. <laughs> Uh, Warren, the newly powerful Warren kills a Nezla demon and Andrew cannot control himself. (laughs) He screams. That was so hot. Andrew. I'm having a hard time giving as much space to Andrew, I will say, as like I had in previous watches of this television series. So I will establish that. But there are certain moments when I cannot help myself. And this is one of them. (laughs) Yeah. Look at him go. So funny. Um, And... They're, Jonathan and Andrew are basically like both wanting to get their hands on these balls and Warren is like, relax. Oh, Warren was already a despicable, disgusting excuse for a human being. But like what happens from this point forward is just it, it somehow got worse. <laughs> You'll each get a whirl as soon as I'm done playing with them, he says. He loves playing with his balls, his orbs. He loves Let to- him play with his orbs. So we go to Xander's. Speaking of fucking balls. You know, it's been a minute since I was reminded that Xander has a fucking pegboard covered in tools hanging <laughs> up in his living room. I mean, it's artistically done. I, I'm personally a fan of it. But uh, his apartment is a fucking disaster mess. He's just been sort of like drinking beer and uh, eating food and leaving the remnants behind as he goes and... I hope Anya kept her apartment this whole time and you like that's where she's she been did. staying. You right? fucking know she did. Anya yeah. definitely is still has like a full dresser of all of her nicest pajamas her yeah. <laughs> at her apartment. <laughs> um, good, good, good. Buffy's here. Buffy's here. And the first thing Buffy does is say something to comfort Xander. She loves you. You know that. And then she kind of uses not uses Anya in a bad way, but she sort of like uh, piggybacks on Anya's journey to maybe attempt to explain her own. Um, Anya was hurting and she did this really stupid thing. Uh, But that's not good enough for Xander. Nothing is good enough for fucking Xander because this is all about Xander, isn't it? This is the fucking Xander show. I, this is a bad showing for him. It is bad. He is. The first thing that Xander 
focuses on, because nothing that he focuses on is good, but the first thing that he focuses in on is that he must have looked so stupid telling Spike, that's the first, that's the first, the first place this motherfucker goes is to fucking be like, wow, well, you sure made me look a fool. Dude. Then Buffy doesn't flip out like I just did. She actually responds calmly and says, you have no (laughs) idea how hard it is just being here. And Xander keeps at it. He fucking keeps at it. The only good thing that happens in this scene, in my personal opinion, is when Buffy says, what I do with my personal life is none of your business. Fucking tattoo it on yourself, Xander. It's none Mm -hmm. of your fucking business. And he's like, well, it used to be. God. Dude, what? What were you thinking? He doesn't even have a... Fuck this fucker i fucking cannot with him i i I just want to say that like something that's really interesting about this episode um and without like spoiling obviously but something that's interesting about this episode and the and the rest of the arc of this season is how we like have spike positioned how we have the trio positioned and how we have xander positioned because there's just like a lot of like the venn diagram of those three things and where they overlap is really interesting to me and something that i don't even know that the writers uh were aware of 100 percent when they were creating this but xander is really bad my last note in the scene is fuck you xander as a matter of fact in all capital letters good note Thank you. Good note. Um, I just like, <laughs> what does he even mean by it used to be? Like, at what point right? were Buffy's, like, dating decisions, like, up for a vote with the Scoobies? Like, I just, no, well, no, 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 no. It's interesting, though. I mean, that's an interesting question to ask because, I, like, I've had friendships in my life that, have, that like, started in high school um, and then fell apart as I grew up. Um, And it was really because the other person in that dynamic expected the same kind of like intimacy and codependency as we had in our relationship together in high school, you know? Mm -hmm. So and, and so like I do think that there's truth to this and probably a lot of our listeners can also relate to when one person in a friendship is like, okay, but I'm a little bit older now. Things are different now. And like, we relate to each other different now. We're still very close and we still love each other. But like the things we shared and the way we shared them then is different. And the other party cannot mature that way, cannot grow that way with you. And so, I mean, in my experience, our friendship, my friendship with this person ended because we just, we grew separately. Uh, I mean, if I'm being real, like I think I grew and he did not. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this podcast. Okay, bye. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> uh, the last thing that I have to say about the scene is something that's just popped into my mind. Uh, you know, Xander's very high and mighty about, like, whether Spike has a soul and what kind of, you know, entity Spike is and everything. So Anya was once human. Mm-hmm. Then she became a vengeance demon mm-hmm. for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Now, when she was made a human again, did she get her original soul back did she she get a have a soul a new soul or does she not have a soul i'm just wondering did she do vengeance demons not have souls what's the what's the deal with vengeance demons and souls well i guess i'm basing this off of just like the vampire lore of the show but i was assuming that 
demons don't have souls, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just vampires. Maybe maybe certain demons have souls and others don't. I don't know. It's a great question, but... Like, Clem seems like he probably has a soul. I mean, right. Well, and I mean, that's us buying into whatever the fuck a soul is supposed to mean in this universe, sure. which is just like sure. sort of this weird, uh, I don't know Depends if I on like the episode. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think, like, I think Xander establishes his goodness by putting himself next to what he considers to be bad and saying, I'm not mm. that, you know, like... Like not that's not even necessarily coming right out of the question you just asked or the thing that you but it just just made me think like he's just always saying like this person is bad because of X. He doesn't have a soul. I do. He doesn't have a this. I do. I would never yeah. kill half of Europe or whatever the fuck he says about Spike. You oh know? my God, dude. Yeah, it's just <laughs> like you, sir, you're going to need to find some of your own value without just saying what you're not. <laughs> it's true. <sighs> oh, it's true. And he storms out of his own apartment. Sick burn, dude. <laughs> and uh, even though when they're in his apartment, it appears to be daylight and the sun appears to be like streaming into the apartment. The- when he walks outside, it is night. It's and the power he's- of Azure. Yes. Azure turns uh, day to night. Uh, Xander plods down State Street and stares through the blinds into the magic box at Anya, who is using Giles' feather duster. Love when I get to see Giles' feather duster. Love it even more when Anya is using it. It's a highlight. It is. It's good. Um, yeah, and this is, a, this is a pretty long scene for what it is because it truly is just music, no dialogue. Xander walking down the street, a shot of like Xander's reflection in the magic box window, and we see Anya like, out of focus it's like a whole thing of like just so you know i'm sorry like i mean i mean i'm not sorry i'm just a woman so i've been conditioned to say i'm sorry before i say mean things about men but like the space given for this man to feel sad about the thing that he did of his own volition is a lot for me to handle (laughs) okay i get it he's sad okay but like i just I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot. I just have feeling like a lot. It's this, this season six is putting a lot on me to hold in the in the pursuit of understanding yeah. men. <laughs> okay. But would you? Could I salve the wound uh, you are nursing with a little naked research in bed? Indeed, you can. Um, they'll be so tomorrow we're putting up our our interview with Amber Benson and also a conversation that I had with uh, both Jen Malkowski and a listener of ours Emma and um, I think it was either Emma or Jen both of them who trafficked the uh, Tara and Willow Buffy board uh, back in the day called the kitten board uh, who said like this was basically the fan fiction that we had been writing and it like was then on the screen you know like (laughs) we wanted their research to be naked for a long Long time, and finally, here they are in Tara's room. Tara has a silk sheets. <laughs> so, do you think she had them the whole time? Do you think she knew she was going to get back together with Willow? So she splurged mm. like mm. she a silk sheet kind of. G- I've never. Have you ever slept on silk sheets like silk like this, like shiny no. silk? Me either. No. I don't. I don't know that I would find it enjoyable, to be honest with you. It doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> but 
<laughs> to each their own. This podcast is an anti-silk sheet podcast. Uh, yeah, anti-drinking milk, anti-silk sheets. Anything <laughs> that ends forbid. in ilk, get it away. God forbid you drink milk while sitting upon your silk sheets. No, Kristen. Uh, a cursed so this, image. This scene ends. Don't worry, I'll fix it. This scene ends. Um, they basically have found blueprints, schematics. I love when oh, anyone says God. the word schematics it's a a good one um and you know willow's like i don't want to get out of bed and tara's like what about the trio's evil scheme and willow says i'm kind of working on my own my god no (laughs) no ladies doing it doing it okay now prepare to suspend your disbelief as a very hot girl Kicks it to Xander so hard, even though he's basically doing the equivalent of like holding his palm against her forehead while she like tries to run towards him. You know what I mean? The bartender spills a bit of vodka or whatever he's drinking on his hand. And she's like, oops. <laughs> and she's like, oops, you got it oops, all wet. You're all wet. <laughs> and then Xander's like, well, I'm fucking part fish. He's like literally miserable from the jump. She's like, she tries again. She's like, which part? Like as though there's a <laughs> like, what is she hoping for? <laughs> What's the best <laughs> answer? <laughs> this is the best case scenario, ma'am. Like truly. <laughs> Like, I applaud her, like, ability to turn that into something that sounds (laughs) sexy. But heaven forbid we examine what the question is truly asking in a sexy way. Uh, Xander says, the part with the hook in it. And she is still undeterred. (laughs) Careful. Someone might reel you in. Honestly, this lady at the bar deserves her own sexual tension award. I will tell (laughs) you the fuck what. She has worked so hard for this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, my God. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Xander does a long babbling monologue uh, about, you know, the futility of seeking love in the modern era. Mm. And she's like, finally is like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And then in walks the stupid fucking trio. Also, did you even realize that we were at the bronze in this scene? Yes. Uh, I didn't realize it was the bronze until I saw the new rebranded logo outside the next time we come here. Uh, good job. The, the bronze really going for like some Jamiroquai vibes, I think, is what I picked up <laughs> from their new logo. <laughs> nice. Um, quick scene with Buffy. Buffy has 
so many jackets in this episode. She began, which we didn't say, <laughs> with a red leather jacket. Say that three times fast. And then a yellow leather jacket. <laughs> and then you're all warmed up and ready to go on stage. <sighs> um, but she has, it's not yellow, but I think it is leather. It's really nice. It's got like some sheepskin lining, like some like, mm. it's really a nice jacket that she's wearing in the cemetery. And then later she's in a, a really nice like pink felt pea coat. She's just jacket game strong on Buffy. Mm. Uh, well, you know, she, Southern California, it's cold. <laughs> so many jackets. Everyone is Southern have California. jackets. So this scene, she's just fighting a vamp and she's like, but probably not going to kick so hard when you're blowing in the wind. And then, but then Patrick he does. Swayze starts playing in the background. No, she's like the wind. Okay. <laughs> my tree. Okay. Okay. You know... No, no, it's very good. It's very, it's very good. He I'm imagining her. everyone, I'm imagining all of you listeners at home loving me and appreciating me for all that I am, both good <laughs> and bad. Um, mm. The vampire is dusted and the dust of his foot still kicks Buffy. Kicks her hard enough to throw her into a tombstone and break it in half. And now is a good time to turn the episode off. <laughs> this is a great time to stop watching the episode. Yeah, or just like skip a bunch. Um, so we already talked about the fact that like we're going to go in in depth to the scene that that follows this one um, and everything that happens in it. Um, it is really upsetting. It is really triggering. Um, we're going to talk about the conversation that Spike and Buffy have in the bathroom. And certainly it's not possible for us to go through this episode or the rest of the season without talking about this as part of the arc. But um, we are going to do it very lightly here. And that is so that people who are listening to this episode who do not want to go in depth do not have to. Uh, in the show notes, there are timestamps of even the light conversation that we are about to have so that you can jump ahead to when we are done and we've moved along to the Jamiroquai bronze logo uh, and we go back to the trio. Okay. The scene starts so relatable. Buffy's back hurts and she's running a bath. I've been there mm -hmm. a million times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's she's all banged up and Spike comes in and is like, we have to talk. Mm. Um, sir, uh, first of all, like, don't walk into the bathroom. Do, do, you know what I mean? Like, if you... <laughs> There's so much else wrong about this exchange in many ways. But like yeah. from, from the jump here, like if you are in a headspace where you plan to do something healthy, you are going to say, I would really like to talk to you when you are able to talk to me. There are things that are really important for me to share. But he doesn't. Right. He walks into the bathroom. Yeah. We've got to talk and we've got to talk right now. Right. And what he really wants to share with her is his own feelings, you know, and like he he's trying to say to her that like he just needs these feelings to stop he can't make them stop he's overwhelmed by the way that he like cares for her and loves her and it feels wrong to him in a million ways because she doesn't return the feeling or she says she doesn't return the feeling but also he's supposed to be an evil vampire we get more of this later with Clem but like he's in conflict and he's come to Buffy. We, we are to believe that he's come here to talk to Buffy again because he still does not believe that she doesn't love him. Buffy very clearly states, 
the difference for her. She's really clear. And she says, I do have like she she's acknowledging basically what he's putting on the table, which is like, I know that there is something here and that something is love. And she's like, okay, I'm not just going to tell, I'm not just going to say like, no, there's nothing here. Cause that wouldn't be true. Mm-hmm. You are right. And that I have feelings for you. Obviously I have feelings for you, but it is not love. And the reason it is not love is because I cannot trust you. I could never trust you. This is, um, th- these two have had, and we will talk about it in the longer episode, but these two have had a incredibly toxic relationship from the jump. It has not been a good or healthy thing really at any point, apart from perhaps we can give it some credit for letting Buffy take a minute away from the, the trauma that she has been feeling. Okay, we'll give it that. But she has not had the space to really clearly articulate this piece um, in a way to Spike that is as good as she does here. This is, I do, I have feelings for you. I do not trust you, so I cannot love you. Spike gives us a really clear idea of what he believes to be connection between two people. He says, trust is for old marrieds. That's his, those are his words. Mm-hmm. Um, And that real love is wild, passionate, dangerous. It burns. It consumes. So we're having, we can imagine him with Drusilla. I mean, this is really like the only way that Spike has ever experienced any kind of intense connection with another human being Mm -hmm. is in all of these ways. Um, And Buffy clearly says, yeah, and that only lasts so fucking long. Right. Like that's it's that 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 kind of love. It can only last so long before there's nothing left. It will burn itself up. It's unfortunate. Uh, It's unfortunate the way that Spike chooses to conduct himself at the front of this, because it's, of course, understandable that, um, you know, when two people have a thing and they feel differently than one another. Like there is conflict Mm -hmm. and you can try to resolve that conflict by communicating, but like he is not respecting boundaries. Uh, He's coming into what should be a private space. He's Mm -hmm. demanding that, you know, he be heard here and now and not at a time of mutual agreement. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of this stuff that, you know, like I think that she feels some sympathy for him when he says that, you know, like he went to get a spell from Anya. You know, first oh, right. she's like appalled thinking that he was getting a spell to put on Buffy. And then he's like, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just trying to feel better. Yeah. You to know? not feel like this. She does. She definitely feels sympathy for him. And, you know, <laughs> there's no like big point in this, but I do think it's worth saying that Spike enters this space, which is a private space, and he just barges in. These two have been doing that to each other from the start of their relationship. That's I mean, true. A precedent has been set in both directions. Right, right. And that's why, like, that's why we have a whole episode to talk about what happens next and including all of the things that came before and all of the things that will come after, because it is a complicated and nuanced thing and it should be a complicated and nuanced thing this is intimate partner violence that like this these there is a pre-existing relationship here and it is really complicated so 
We're going to move out of this here in this episode because that is the way that we are trying to allow uh, for more listeners to be able to be in this space with us and to to give this the responsible treatment that it deserves. But I will say that we have almost a minute of this scene that is left. It is a long... It is so long. There's a commercial break There's in the middle. There's a commercial break in the middle. Um, and you'll hear uh, in the conversation that I have with Alba and with Jess Clark, we talk a lot about something called the monster myth um, because there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot about like the length of the scene. There's a lot about what happens in the scene. So it isn't, I just want to be clear that like, you know, at the top of the episode and for many, many episodes, we've been like, fuck this episode, fuck it. Let's just pretend it doesn't happen, yada, yada. There actually is a lot of really important stuff to talk about here. So if you um, are able and you want to, please join us us in that other conversation. So um, before we go over to the bronze, we're going to move forward. We're going to go to the bronze. But uh, important to note that this scene does end with Buffy saying to Spike, ask me again why I could never love you. Uh, I stopped you, something that I should have done a long time ago. And Spike leaves. To the bronze. Mm. To the bronze. Okay, huge, fantastic news. Look at Andrew's drink. Look at it. <laughs> this is a Jenny Owen Young's drink. <laughs> he is up in his pina colada business. <laughs> My boy, uh, yeah, Andrew. He's, he's getting more comfortable with himself. He's screaming at Warren that he's hot. He's drinking out of his fucking pina colada glass. Yes. Unfortunately, he is not good. Uh, in this episode, I actually I actually had a moment later in this episode where I was like, oh, wow, I really had a lot of room for Andrew that maybe I should not have had. Um, We'll get there. I love his drink, too. Stay, stay with the cool. drink, Kristen. Yes. Um, so Warren fucking saunters over to yet another girl. And I think that this is intentional, right? Like, he has, he doesn't care about the girl. He went over to this girl because he knew that this was yeah. the guy that bullied him. This is like... Warren's arc in this is is just a very, like heavy marker drawing of toxic masculinity. Like there's no mm. nuance here at all. He's got magical balls that give him strength and invulnerability. He's angry at the guy who emasculated him in gym class. So he's going to go fuck that guy's girlfriend. Just not about the girl, but just to prove to the guy that he's more masculine. This isn't high school mm. anymore, he says to this dude. Something that I want to know is that after, because he, he then has a fight. I don't know. Is there anything you want to talk about with the meathead or the fight? Well, before the meathead, there is a quick moment while Warren is chatting up that girl where Jonathan's talking to Andrew saying, like, maybe we should think about getting away from Warren. Maybe right. you and I should start our own thing. And Andrew, because yeah. he is smitten, mm -hmm. uh, says, Warren's the boss. He's Picard. You're Deanna Troy. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, then Warren's being gross, then he gets in that fight, and then, oh no, <laughs> after he, like, punches that guy across the room or whatever, Warren does his absolute best to ru absolutely ruin the word daddy for all of us. I mean, uh, like, it, he may have done it for me. Like, I, I, I am so upset. <laughs> to your Andrew point, though, before we get to, uh, I mean, a daddy that could only be paired with Adam's mommy, really, um... <laughs> <laughs> um, Warren does something and it happens really quickly 
But because I was like paying attention to Andrew and my feelings about Andrew and like what's happening with Andrew, I noticed that as he walks over to fucking smash the cash register and say daddy a bunch of times, he pauses for a second and like very gently touches Andrew's elbow. Like he like gives Andrew this moment that is not just like, yeah, man, but is like very tender, which I don't think has anything to do with anything apart from I think Warren knows that Andrew has a fucking crush on him. And I think he's using that to his advantage as well. In addition to everything else he's doing, I think he's also doing that, but he really does. It's like a, it's a quick, but I think notable moment. And yeah, then the, the fall of daddy. Ooh, this thing with the cash register and talking to the girls and calling himself daddy and saying he's going to give them some money. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, gross. Okay. Do, do, <laughs> my next question. <laughs> uh, Xander re-enters the main common area of the bronze uh, to the soundtrack of a toilet flushing. He's coming out of the bathroom as a toilet flushes. Clearly, he hasn't washed his hands. Uh, do you think this is rude of the show to do to Xander? <laughs> if I you mean, weren't already mad at him. Uh, yeah, if I wasn't already mad at him, maybe. But otherwise, nah. Okay. <laughs> I'm fine with it. Warren uses Anya to twist. Oh, my God. He knows just where to go. He really does. Um, and, I mean, this fight is just fucking... I mean, I, like, I, I I know, obviously, like, we'll, we'll side with Xander on this one. But, like, it's just, like, Xander is saying, at least I know how to get a girl. Like, everybody, just oh, everybody. Just shut the door. Just get rid of all of okay, them. Okay, so Warren punches Xander across the room. And then I just want to mention a touch that i think is really nice he walks past the pool table and just like with basically no effort just kind of like throws the pool table which is on wheels maybe or just yeah. is sliding on the ground just like whoosh off to the side which is a nice little color detail of like oh he's really fucking strong right now uh well uh, you didn't remember while we're on that i would also like to give um the the fighting stunt people and coordinators some credit because there's some incredible fight moves in the scene, namely the one where after Warren punches meathead number one, he turns around, Ooh. right? And he, I, I, lo- <laughs> I will never love anything more than when someone makes a person punch themselves in the face with their own Stop hand. hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> Uh, but it's done. It's done really well. Uh, yeah. Punching so- somebody with their own fist is pretty tight. <laughs> <laughs> Once Warren reaches Xander in his new resting place, you know, he's towering over him and he's like talking about, oh, like removing his face or whatever. Uh, and Jonathan. How popular will you be without a face? Great burn, yeah. dude. <laughs> then, uh, great timing, Jonathan. Hey, uh, if you want to still do that thing, that time sensitive thing, we got to go. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel like he could have ripped Xander's face off really fast. But I instead, they just leave. Um, thank God. Thank God. So, OK, now I'm upset. Now I'm really upset because Xander pops into the Summer's house, sees Spike's jacket on the stairs, carries it upstairs and walks into the bathroom without knocking yeah the no one is respecting the bathroom space uh the but private like space. it's like different not that spike should have done what he did but i feel like a precedent yes exists yes. when you have an intimate partner like yes. it's yeah it's less uh, egregious to walk yes. into a bathroom 
Yes. And also when Xander busts in, what he thinks he's going to open the door on is Spike and Buffy having sex. I just want to know what Xander's plan would have been if they were having sex. If they were having consensual sex, then what? He's going to shame Buffy some more? He's going to try to kick Spike's ass? Well, you know, they say when you're training a dog, it's good to catch them in the act and oh say no. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe he's God. just going to go in there with a spray bottle and, like, spritz Spike <laughs> in the face and hit him with a rolled-up newspaper. <laughs> Xander using a spray bottle is quite funny. <laughs> Uh, I thought what you were going to be most upset about before we got to Xander and all of what is about to happen was going to be that Spike left his duster. He was in a state. I know. But it's just like, I mean, that's a trick. They really, like, Spike could have left many things behind. He could have left, like, a pack of cigarettes behind. So I think it is a choice that, like, that is what he left behind. You know, Mm -hmm. we can talk about that more as the season progresses. Um... Did he hurt you? Son of a bitch. Willow enters and we divert. The, the, Buffy essentially does what we did a couple of moments ago. She's like, how about we just go downstairs and don't talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, okay, great. Great, great, great. Um, so we learn that there's a big, like, fucking Oceans 3 plan here with, okay. like, yeah, they decrypted the blueprints. The There's schematics. so many schematics. There's also uh, one pile of documents they couldn't translate. But don't worry, Xander can. They're Klingon love poems. Again, putting a pin in the fact that there is a Venn diagram here where Xander has a lot of overlap with a lot of the things that are going on here. Plus his own yeah. shit. Okay, so yeah, it's Klingon. Um, and they're going to get to this because as Tara says, bless her, this is really big. <laughs> Love Tara. <laughs> so, um, we go to Spikes and we don't even go cleanly to Spikes. We get a flashback, which is not, it's not okay. It's not okay with the flashbacks. Uh, but Spike yeah. is, is thinking about what has just happened and he pours himself a vodka. He, or whatever he's drinking, he drinks it. He crushes the glass in his hands. Clem thankfully arrives to like cut the tension a tiny bit with some hot wings. Spike says kind of to himself, kind of to the universe, kind of to the abyss. What have I done? What did I do? What has she done to me? Clem is like, oh, the Slayer? She break up with you again? She's a sweet girl, but issues. Clem, Clem. Clem, Clem. doesn't know what's going on. Clem and- has no idea. He's like trying to tell a story about some other person he knew that got brought back from the dead. And like, that was a whole thing. You know, this is. Yeah. It- it's. I will say when Clem says issues, Spike smirks knowingly, which I feel like is an odd choice. Yeah. For this scene and where yeah. we are in the episode yeah well um i think uh, i can't say much here but i will say that before we got on mic uh i was talking to jenny about the fact that i've read a couple of things about the choices that james marsters made as an actor based on what he was told <laughs> about where this would be going versus mm-hmm. where the writers knew it would be going so it's hard to know why certain choices were made and why they allowed certain choices to be made but i agree it's a very odd choice um this whole scene i mean you can't have a scene like the one that just happened and then have Clem show up with hot wings and have people be able to kind of like take that in, you know, like we're doing our best to keep pace with it. But 
it's just a lot. It's a lot to process. And like you said, Clem has no idea. Um, and we, we basically get this whole arc from Spike of like, it's the chip. It won't be echoing what we basically heard Buffy say to Spike earlier in the season. It won't let me be a monster and I can't be a man. I'm nothing sad it's fucking sad like the whole thing this whole thing is speaking of complicated it's complicated and it's yeah it's really hard and it's really sad and Clem again having no idea what Spike is talking about or what has just happened is like well things change you know like think like like he's trying to just help his friend out you know like trying to find any positive any way that he can give him like a tiny bit of hope that like it might be different tomorrow might be different than today and yeah yeah. spike latches on to this idea of things changing yeah he's like oh yeah they do change if you make them yeah so he doesn't look entirely wholesome when he says it he doesn't does he he does not um so we go to the Sunnydale Carnival. I don't know where. What is this? <laughs> yeah, this is like grand opening Sunnydale the, Amusements, like Hoffman's Playland. Oh. So that's a shout Great out for you, Northeasters. Oh, Action Park. Anybody from North Jersey? Jersey? Anybody sustain uh, injuries or death at <laughs> notoriously dangerous water park from my home area? Action Park. <laughs> It's like it's not funny, but it is like the no, no. I mean, it's like oh, it's terrible, but it's like terrible, you know, but... it was it was so known for death and injury, but all of our parents still would be like, get out of the house, go. go I'm dropping go. you off at Action Park. Yeah. So Oof. at the Sunnydale Action Park slash Hoffman's Playland uh, grand opening, uh, Warren's first plan is to. Tip oh it's a weird plan because again he tips over the armored car, but no one appears to have any kind of vessel to carry the money in. So what was the plan? It's all very strange. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, he tips over this armored car that has a lot of money in it, because I guess it was a great grand opening of the Sunnydale Carnival grounds. And um Andrew says, I can't wait to get my hands on his orbs. <laughs> Oh, man. Buffy, we love to see, we love to see Buffy standing atop the armored car, making a joke about bank fees uh, in this moment. <laughs> it's really, it's it's a good, it's a good shot, too. It's like a, almost like a hero shot, right, from underneath the... Oh, yeah. It's nice. They start fighting, and he's like, oh, you seem off. Bad night. And she's like, getting better as she continues to land blows on him. This is exactly the sort of morale boost Buffy Summers could use right now. Yes, this is great. This is the morale boost many of us need right now. It is very nice. She says to Warren, you've really got a problem with strong women, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. um, (laughs) Yes. Uh, And she then grabs the entire door of the armored truck and slams Warren with it. (laughs) Love to see it. Uh, and then she manages to get him positioned under a stone arch in time for it to crumble on top of him. But, oh, God, he's still going and says, <laughs> what's the matter, baby? You never fight a real man before. I mean, it's like it's almost the stuff that they the words that they put in Warren's mouth are so on the fucking nose that sometimes I'm like, you guys, I know, I know. I know. It's uh, what I like. Yes. I said, it's a. 
it's not even just a Sharpie marker. It's one of those really thick Sharpie markers that this is drawn with. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's not incorrect. It's just it's just a lot um and andrew this is the moment where i was like wow i really did make some space for andrew in ways that i would like to challenge because andrew from the sidelines screams kill her jonathan andrew right like jonathan jonathan has been and we've noted it like jonathan has been very upset for a long time and that doesn't get jonathan like a free pass on any of this but he has been very upset and he is about to jump on Buffy to tell her how to not die. Uh, Meanwhile, Andrew is literally shouting for the death of the Slayer from the sidelines. So that's something. Warren, it's not the muscles, it's the brains. Okay, Um, buddy. Okay, pal. And and just as Jonathan is like really starting to gain some serious traction in this fight – Jonathan, out of nowhere, jumps on Buffy's back so he can whisper, smash his orbs. His power's in the orbs. Smash uh, that patriarchy, as they say. So they lucky for Buffy, Warren has a flourish right before he punches her. He says, say goodnight, bitch. And he sort of like whips his jacket to the side, revealing his tiny little leather sack of orbs <laughs> <laughs> that she smashes. And then she says... Night, bitch. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Yeah, so, and then she starts telling him that it's time to take responsibility for what he's done, but oh no. Oh, God. Oh no. He's got one more trick up his stupid little sleeve. He takes off his jacket to reveal a jetpack, which he ignites and takes off, and the scream. The like, the like, ah, of uncertainty that occurs when you like, you know, when something like throws you off balance or you're like, you're trying to get your sea legs on something or whatever Uh. is the exactly what he deserves at this moment. Well, sorry, he deserves a lot more, but that, that like, Buffy's face. If there, if you ever need to know what I feel, what most of us feel inside when we get upset with Warren or any of these fucking fuckers, just look at her face when this guy has a jetpack. She literally like, goes, "Fucking Christ, you have got oh, to be kidding me!" Come on, yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, then Andrew takes off his jacket and he also has a jetpack. And Jonathan is like, why didn't I get one of those? So I would actually modify what you said earlier, Kristen. I don't think they're planning to kill Jonathan. I think they were just planning oh, to, to leave him Jonathan? here to get arrested. Oh, uh, right, right, right. Uh, okay. And Andrew, with visions of like Lex Luthor or whatever dancing in his ridiculous little brain, is like, oh, you won the battle, but the war has only just begun. And he hits his little jetpack starter and slams into a low-hanging ceiling, knocking himself unconscious. It's really funny. It's these boys, these really boys. funny. Like, you know, you got to give some credit where credit is due. And, like, that is funny shit. Uh, it is very funny. So they get arrested. Uh, Andrew, Andrew and Jonathan go to jail. They go to jail. Andrew is de- 
Andrew is devastated. He left me. He was just using me. Very good line delivery and line writing on. He never really loved. Pause. Hanging out with us. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> It is good, actually. It is good. Um, Spike, we get like one clip of Spike who is on his motorcycle on the road that leads directly out of Sunnydale and (laughs) the one road that gets you out of Sunnydale and and off he goes. He says, get nice and comfy, Slayer. I'll be back. And when I do, things are going to change. Chuck's cigarette into dirt. Rooms away. Rooms? Um, Interesting. Away. This we'll is have more to say about that, or will we? Time will tell. So, cool. Um, well, it's a good thing that this episode is ending, because we must be almost done. There must be simply fucking nothing it, left. And you know, it's still not too late to just turn the episode off, actually. Yeah, we told you before to turn it off, so... Willow and Tara are up in their room. They're kissing. They're talking about taking their clothes off again. Um, It's all very nice and sweet and loving. And Tara says, Xander. And Willow's like, it's not really what I had expected to hear from you. But (laughs) Tara sees that Xander's in the backyard. And they are hopeful that uh, Xander is there to make up with Buffy, that they will be reconciling in the backyard. So we go to the backyard. And... A line so good he doesn't deserve it. Xander says, time for the spring poking already. <laughs> it is good. It is good. Uh, yeah. Buffy's like, <laughs> War- Warren got away. Oh, Dude, yeah. wait, wait, wait. She says, Jonathan and Andrew got clinked, but Warren pulled a rocket man. Buffy, how is Xander supposed to know what the fuck you're talking about? <laughs> This is not effective communication. There is so little effective communication on this show. It's true. It's true. Um, Then there's this like, uh, you know, you'll find him. You'll find Warren, even though he got away, because he won't be much good without his friends, which really is just a line for them to look meaningfully at each other um, because Mm -hmm. they won't be any good without their friends. Counterpoint. um, I know. (laughs) I'm going to get kicked off my own podcast, but um, Xander says it hurt that Buffy didn't trust him enough to tell him about Spike. And I don't believe him. I don't. But he's just trying to make himself look good because his true feelings are not so great. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he had some time to think about it. Maybe this is coming from some kind of real place, but it doesn't feel in line with. I think that he I think he feels that it is coming from a real place. It's just that there's like a lot of comp because he he gets he does get to the point because he says it hurt that you didn't trust me enough. She apologizes, and no. and then and only then does Xander say maybe you would have told me if I hadn't been such an ass. So it's in there, like it's in his consciousness that like it was his own way of showing up to their friendship that likely caused that um but it's just not what he leads with you know and it's just unfortunate i mean it's it is not, like i know i'm i'm being i'm very i have a lot of feelings okay this is a rough episode um i've lived 40 years on this earth as a woman i have a lot of fucking feelings about a lot of things and so i don't mean to like put it all in any of these bins we've got spike we've got warren we've got xander there's just a whole big mess of shit happen. we've got the fucking writers in the writer's room mm. we've got a lot of a lot of fucking men doing a lot of things in a lot of ways so i certainly don't mean to make xander the vessel for it all but 
Um, and I will say that it is nice. I feel good when they are hugging each other and they are trying to find mm-hmm. a way back to each other. I do want them to find a way back to each other. I just don't want it to have to hinge on Buffy apologizing. Yeah. Anyway, they hug and it's nice. I accept the hug. I take the hug. It feels good. A good hug. If only the episode ended right here. And of course it doesn't. I mean, there's nothing as true as angering a man like Warren and making him feel emasculated, resulting in him finding a gun and showing up with it. That is very accurate and very scary and is what happens here. Um, We always hate to see a gun in Sunnydale. It is it never feels right or fair because this is a magical, mystical world and guns seem like a cheat and like not okay. Yeah. 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 This motherfucker. This motherfucker. Comes into this yard and says, oh, you think you can do that to me? to me so uh, much in that line even yeah because yeah. the answer is no right like that's that's like the answer is is no she couldn't do that to him right like she did it and like there there are consequences because of the dynamic of this fucking world and like that that line just fucks me up uh and then he starts shooting his gun while i think running away at the same time yeah yeah. And two terrible things happen. One, a bullet finds its way to Buffy, like in her like heart zone, mm-hmm. which is the last place you want to get shot, I think. Bad. Yeah. yeah, it's bad. Uh and then another bullet, you know, when you're running away like a little piss baby mm-hmm. firing a gun. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're I don't know, arm flails around and you accidentally shoot into the goddamn second story of the house that you're behind and you hit Tara, which is completely unacceptable? Yeah. It's pretty not okay. So, um, Tara's shot and Tara is very clearly dead. And we see that. the, The scene is really graphic. The, the image of this happening is really graphic. Willow Willow is wearing a white shirt, and though I don't even want to acknowledge it, I will. Tara is wearing the sweater that Willow couldn't find in the body. Oh, no. How actually How dare they? How dare they? How dare they? Um, and... So we're seeing like intercut scenes. This is how the episode ends. Both Buffy and Tara are shot... But it is made very clear that Tara is not alive and Willow is holding her and crying and down in the yard. Buffy is bleeding and it's definitely treacherous. But, you know, folks, we are three episodes before the end of the season and Buffy has died twice. So and and I talk a bit about this with Jen Malkowski. Like, it really is very clear that Buffy is not going to die, but yet... It is positioned so that we have concern for Buffy, even though we have also just lost Tara. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. uh, loss, this death of Tara is 
very, a very, very big deal. Uh, not just for those of us who love Tara. Uh, and there will be an entire episode that I've been working on to talk about this because the persistence of lesbian and bisexual women, particularly, but queer people overwhelmingly being killed off in television mm-hmm. is a thing. It is a massive thing. And I've, I've been working, so I'm, I'm writing a book uh, right now on, on coming out. It's nothing to do with, with this apart from also being queer. But I'm working with an artist and they are 25. So there's like a, you know, a generational divide between us. So that's 15 years, right? And so I was talking to them about this episode that I was putting together and, and Tara and the death of Tara and what have you. And they were like, wow, like also it was like 2002. So probably this conversation was just like starting, you know, because of course you'd think that if you were 25, because it was only in 2016 that we lost like Lexa or what, like these conversations seem like they were new to a 25 year old. And like, it couldn't possibly be that queer fandom was very clear about the damage that would be done if a queer character was killed on this show. However, they were there already. They were talking. They were very clearly talking before this happened about the fact that this character should not die. And they did it anyway. And we can't really talk too much about the whole of it because we need to be cautious of spoilers, but we will be talking more about it. Um, and I just like, I don't want to make the whole thing. Like I want to talk about Tara and Willow and like that, but I just want to say that there's a lot to this scene that echoes for years to come and that echoes way back to the past. Um, this is not just the death. We've lost characters. I mean, we lost Jenny Callender. We lost Joyce. Like this, this is not, um, it's not a big deal to lose a character, a main character in this show. I mean, it is a big deal, but it's not um, an anomaly to lose a main character mm-hmm. in this show. But Tara is not just a main character in this show. Tara is one of two queer women given the space to be a full person inside of a television show for the first time ever. Tara and Willow were a beacon for so many queer people who had no other space to understand who they were. This was a big deal. And I'm I'm, I'm monologuing and I see Jenny's patiently <laughs> turning in her chair. This is why I gave myself a whole other episode to continue. Mm. But mm-hmm. I, I just cannot stress enough because I don't know how many of you will listen to that episode. And if you don't, I need you to know that this is really not okay and we are very upset about it jenny how are you i mean i'm displeased with the outcomes of this episode but i'm all right it just seems like you know they could have done so many things so many this is what they did for some reason uh why why i think like to that question of like why why would you make this choice and again we'll get more into this in the bonus episode tomorrow but I think that it's really hard for people to listen to those with experiences other than their own. And on the kitten board, when this happened, there was a post, you know, in the aftermath of it all, 
that went out of its way to say, like, we we don't think that anyone at Mutant Enemy is homophobic. We don't like it's not that we think that this was done in a malicious manner. We don't think that there's like we we, we are unbelievably so overwhelmingly grateful to have had Tara and Willow. We we don't think there was maliciousness, but there's this lack of ability to think that someone else might have a perspective that's worth considering when you're the one in the writer's room. You know, it's like they knew it wasn't great, but without having been in the skin and brain and body of a queer person, you can't know. And I think like what has shifted and moved since 2002 is that I do think that people are recognizing that sometimes even if they don't understand it, they Mm -hmm. should defer to the people who have lived it going well beyond Mm -hmm. the experience of queer people. Right. It's like, don't write stories um, with characters who have disabilities, characters of color, queer characters, trans characters, and not be responsible about it. And the way that that responsibility happens is by listening to your queer fans. They were there. They were there before. They were there loudly. It was there. They knew. They just didn't have the ability to pick that up. And and that's why. I, you know, I, I, I really don't think – I don't think that anyone thinks that this was done as like a, yeah – we just really needed to kill that lesbian off. Like, nobody fucking thinks that. It's just that in doing this, there are, like, a lot of lives that are impacted by choices like this. And mm. and one of them is Willow's. Willow is upset. And all we know is that Willow is... Buffy is bleeding in the yard downstairs. Xander is concerned, to put it mildly. Tara is not alive. And Willow in a like blood spattered shirt is upset. She's crying. And then we see her the very last scene to our episodic title is Willow looking up and her eyes turning red. Hey, (laughs) what could happen? What could go wrong? I'm sure they're going to wrap all this up in the next episode. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Everything will be fine. So, um, Obviously, we didn't do a sexual tension awards uh, in this episode, but unbeknownst to us, we had a winner anyway. Um... (laughs) Uh, Bronze Fish Girl. Bronze Fish Girl, congratulations. You earned it. You really earned it. Indomitable horniness. You, you. Uh, She just. Just doing, willing to do anything to make it happen, willing to overlook anything to make it happen. Yep. Bless you. Congratulations. We all needed you in this episode. So thank you. It's true. Thank you for all the work that you did. Um, Incredible. And so we're at the end of this episode. Uh, I've done uh, maybe too much talking. I don't know. Uh, There's a lot to talk about. But (laughs) oh, hey, if you don't worry, you can listen to Kristen talk a whole bunch more about stuff uh, and dig in even deeper to all of the fascinating and frustrating and deep and important nooks and crannies that kind of like branch off from i know nooks and crannies don't technically branch off of things but (laughs) get what i'm saying uh 
it's epi- it's seeing red episodes all the way down basically <laughs> truly but i will say like i told jenny i'm i'm really good at creating like extra work for myself when i don't need to and i try i'm trying to get better at that but this was a uh, an episode that I I did because I just was so excited to do it. Um, when Emma emailed me uh, and said, like, I just need you to know I was on the kitten board when this happened. I met my wife on the kitten board. We have an 11-year-old son. Every cell in my being that is so connected to, like, queer history and has been for so long, just, like, immediately activated. Uh, and I, I'm just so excited to get to bring together like truly my two greatest loves queer history mm. and buffy the vampire slayer mm. so like i said i uh, i talked a lot jenny you talked a, a reasonable amount oh thank you i hope that we did an okay job this episode um is a really really hard one to navigate through the season has been a hard one to navigate through, so we're, please we're know. doing our best. Please and know, yes, we really are. What more doing could our we best. do? Uh, I uh. Know. We're just gonna we're just gonna keep doing our best, and and hopefully we did an okay job at this episode. I guess that's the end. <laughs> it's the okay. end. It's <laughs> the end of seeing red. Oh boy. <laughs> Well, uh, Jenny, beautiful where, friends. If if you did a good job and people would like to find you, yeah. where can they do that? Hey, if I did a good job, I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. And when I'm not making this podcast with Kristen, uh, I make another podcast called Veronica Mars Investigations, which is nearing its end of uh, Veronica Mars content. But we do have a special episode coming up with one of my two nemesis sisters, Latoya Ferguson. Uh, so look out for that in your feed. Uh, you can also hear my singing voice in the context of music released under my name, Jenny Owen Youngs, and also music released uh, from my new band, LAXs. We have three singles out and a record out later this month. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And if you oh. want a little taste of one one other quarter of LAXs, you're about to get it just in a moment. It's uh, true. In just in, one moment. In just one moment. Uh, I, can I can I say a little something about the song before, before I tell them uh, where to find me and, and where to find yeah. us? Uh, I just want to say that like the, the song choice for Anya it was very specific. Like Jenny said up at the top, like we were not going to write a, a song from Buffy's perspective in this episode. It didn't feel like something that would be able to be done responsibly or well. Uh, but we were given this gift of Anya, who I think in this song is able to embody both her own need for vengeance and frustration with men and also embody so many of the other humans who are frustrated <laughs> with um the patriarchy really is what mm. we'll call it so anyway my name is Kristen russo and <laughs> you can learn more about me if you want to at kristennolene.com that is my first name Kristen, and my middle name nolene which is spelled n-o-e-l-i-n-e uh you can use my f- First and middle name. Also to find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Kristen Nolene. Apart from this podcast, as you probably have gathered by the fact that I couldn't shut up about the death of Tara McClay, I do a lot of work with queer communities and uh, I speak at both universities 
high schools and also workplaces. I've been doing a lot of workplace talks as of late. I would love to speak at your workplace or your school uh, about things like, uh, you know, being a good parent to your LGBTQ kid uh, or all manner of other queer things. So find me. Hire me. And in the meantime, I'll be talking about Buffy and also writing a quick and easy guide to coming out, which will probably be out in like however long it takes books to come out, give or take two years. <laughs> Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BufferingCast. Or you could drop us an email at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. Hey, if you like what you heard and or you didn't, but you're just impressed with the effort, uh, you can support us on <laughs> Patreon um, because that is really what allowed us to create not one, not two, not three, but four episodes for this episode. Uh, BufferingTheVampireSlayer.com. Just click on Patreon. You can also check out all of our new fucking shit in the store. The store is Looking good. Uh, I am actually wearing is. wearing the Pay Buffy Summers pink tank top while talking right now. <laughs> um, we've got a lot of Pay Buffy Summers merchandise. We have an adorable Time is What Turns Kittens into Cats hoodie in the U.S. store. We have Scoobies Forever patches and pins. There's a lot of good shit over there. So you can also find that on the website, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. And till next time. Ah, uh, never again.
Attention, fans of fairy tales that are magical, hilarious, and grim. The award-winning Pinna Original Podcast Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest has new episodes out now. While you've probably heard of the Brothers Grimm, you've never heard these tales told in quite this way. I'm Adam Gidwitz, best-selling and Newbery Honor author of Books for Children, and in Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, I share the real, weird, grim fairy tales with real, weird, hilarious kids. In each episode, you not only get to hear a story, but you also get to enjoy this group guessing what'll happen next, cracking jokes, and sharing their own perspectives on the tales. Also, heckling me. They love to heckle me. The episodes are rated on a scale from grim to grimmer to grimmest, so there's always a great variety of tales to explore with your family. You can listen to Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest now wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow the show so you don't miss new episodes. 